Mark 2, 22. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. Luke 5, 37 and 38. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. God's word. Terry Fawson is no stranger to this congregation. Uh, he might be unfamiliar, uh, unfamiliar to some of you, um, so I will introduce him for your sake and partially for mine because I like him, and so it's an opportunity to say some good things. I met Terry uh, 20, <laughs> 20 years ago when I was in college, and he was a professor teaching a class, and our paths have intersected quite a bit over the last 20 years. Um, he's been a friend two years ago, three years ago when I was on sabbatical uh, thinking about leadership. He spent some time with me and we just talked about leadership and I learned some things. It was really good. Um, so I'm so glad <laughs> that you're here again. He's a friend. He's a brother. Um, he loves us. I know that already. So he's going to share some things from God's word to us today. And thank you so much, Ken. Pastor Ken, <laughs> I, I, I can't believe it. When you say those many years, I go, yeah. Uh, someone asked me how I'm doing, and I said, well, I'm fine. I was lifting a bed about a month ago with my son, and I tore a rotator cuff. And I thought to myself, when I heard the snap in my shoulder, I thought, that didn't happen when I was 25, but I'm not that anymore. I'm uh, 58 or something like that. But anyway, we're really glad. I'm really, really, really glad to be here. I was, uh, as I was driving here this morning from Edmonton, it's a beautiful drive. Uh, it's warmer here as we keep going south. I'm just going to keep heading south. To, no, I'm not. Anyway, but we, ha uh, I recognize that as I'm coming here, I have an expectant heart. My, my, my heart felt like I was drawing close to home here in in Calgary because being here at Thornhill has always been a very rich time for me with you, some of you in, in smaller groups and we've even had a retreat time together and spending time in worship, particularly today as we gather around the, the scriptures and then around the Lord's table. I'm very, very pleased to be here. As uh, Pastor Ken has said, we've intersected paths a lot. Most recently, I, I intersected a path with Pastor Ken and a few others from the Alberta Association Leadership Council, of which Ken is a part, as they were interviewing me to see if I should uh, change hats from being a, uh, a pastor to being a pastor among pastors. And so I'm working in the Alberta Association these days. Just started in January. But to say that doesn't mean that I am the association. That's just... That's just craziness. We are the association as, as churches all across Alberta. Of North American Baptists across Alberta, there's 63 churches. And uh, we work together, particularly to 
help each other build the kingdom. That's a simple way to say it, but uh, our mission statement is that we, as an association, are working to be connected as churches to impact the communities in which we live, knowing that our communities are diverse. Uh, they are where we live in our homes and where we work in our neighborhoods uh, and in our businesses and schools. Our communities are where the church facilities are located. Our communities are at Calgary or Edmonton or whatever that may be. It may be that we are in the global community as we were praying about even moments ago today. And we work together as an association of churches to better impact the communities that God has entrusted to us. As we were praying, I was moved by the prayer for the persecuted believers around the world. It wasn't very many years ago, I with my family were in Nigeria, and we met Islamic people who had become Christians, and they were in fear of life and death itself, and they showed us graves of their family members who had done the same thing, become followers of Jesus, and, and lived and died with that faith. And, and, and I realized that we're in such a privileged place here in Canada, aren't we? Such an opportunity, so much resource, so much available to us, and so much opportunity to work together as a group of churches there's other churches in these cities that we live in, and we should work with them too, but as a group of churches called the Alberta Association, we are particularly committed to help each other impact the communities that God has entrusted to us. So I'm very pleased to work alongside of colleagues like Pastor Ken and, and leaders that uh, many of you who I know um, uh, in this association along with others um, around. So I bring you greetings from the uh, association leadership, um, the leadership council and Pastor Jim Leverett, who is a colleague of mine as well. So let's open up the scriptures. Let's pray as we do because we are dependent on the Lord to make it come alive. Jesus, as we've had our eyes focused upon you in a time of worship and we've been in dialogue with you, and we've heard your word being shared, read. We now depend on your spirit to bring it to life. In my life, in all of us, as, as the church, as this congregation, Thornhill Baptist Church in Calgary, we pray that your spirit will stir us and transform us and move us exactly where you want to be and even as we open now your word again we pray it'll come alive we pray this in your name Jesus amen as some of you know I I I, I grew up in the grand metropolis of Carbon Alberta how many have ever been to Carbon Alberta yeah it's the epicenter of Alberta you know I know that and I came to know the Lord through the ministries of Carbon Baptist Church, a, a vibrant German Baptist congregation nestled in the beautiful little valley about 20 miles, minutes, south of Three Hills, where Prairie Bible Institute was for a long time uh, 
the uh, epicenter of this province in so many ways. And when I was growing up in, in that prairie town, I realized that I, I progressively realized that I was growing up in the, in the shadows of this evangelical Christianity in Canada when, when Alberta was known as the Bible Belt of Canada. And that wasn't very many years ago, and perhaps it still is in so many ways. But at that point, the Bible Belt of Alberta, in the shadows of this Christian, evangelical Christianity, stressed the fundamentals of Christian faith and life and morality, and that swept across the western prairies and all across Canada. In the early years of the 20th century, Alberta and Saskatchewan, in their infancy, a Baptist teacher named William Aberhart was the premier of this province. And I grew up listening to the premier of Alberta, uh, Ernest Manning, preaching on the radio every Sunday morning. I mean, how many places in the world does that happen? Alberta experienced a strong history of Christian faith and practice. And part of that was the Christian temperance movement, which stressed the importance of strong moral behavior, which proved sincere faith. It didn't create faith, but it proved that there was a faith that was building in the hearts of these believers, produced a strength of testimony, and which prohibited, among many other things, the use of alcohol as one of its defining hallmarks, one of its purposes. If you were a Christian, you would drink alcohol in moderation. But if you were really serious about your faith, you would completely abstain from alcohol. So the Christian temperance movement swept through. And even into the 1950s and 60s, total abstinence from alcohol remained the norm among the believers of Carbon Baptist Church. So I'll never forget the time in, my, in the early 60s. I, I was nine years old when a scandal nearly broke out on the streets of Carbon. My dad was the school principal, part of the Carbon Baptist Church, and his friend, a tall, stately, quiet, strong man of God, was the chairman of the board, the moderator of Carbon Baptist Church, and they decided to get together for a root beer-making event because the moderator, my dad's friend, had just received a pop bottle capping device for Christmas. And remember in those days, pop bottles were made of glass and, and, and they weren't screw top. You would put them on and crimp the top with this pop bottle device. How many have ever popped one like that? You know what it's like. It, you can drink that Coca-Cola right now. Anyway, instead of, instead of, of, of just buying it at the store, it was made. It was created and, it, and this the new pop bottle capping device was the new toy of choice in the town of carbon it was shared around from one neighbor to the other everyone was borrowing it to make homemade bottles of pop because root beer making was kind of uh, a fad in those days and it was a very exciting event when my dad and the moderator of the church got together my my mom and, and the moderator's wife were cooking up the brew in the kitchen and my dad and the moderator were filling each of those bottles and then capping them. And all of us kids were dreaming of shelves full of root beer 
to enjoy over the months ahead because pop was a real treat in those days. It really was. Well, some time passed while the root beer was curing in the kitchen pantry until that fateful evening when the root beer began to be distributed. But it was not distributed as you might expect. My, my parents had a house full of company over one Sunday evening after church, and there were church leaders and other community leaders and a whole bunch of kids, and we were having a great time when, when we began hearing minor explosions in the pantry of the kitchen. And these sounds were unavoidably noticed by everyone. And of course, everyone rushed over to the pantry as my dad carefully cracked open the door of the pantry just in time for a few more root beer bottles to pop their tops, spraying the contents all over, making a lovely mess everywhere. And nobody moved. Everyone just kept watching in disbelief and wonder. And I'll never forget the look on my dad's face as he finally stood up straight from leaning in the pantry, he stood up and turned around and said, oh, root beer, ha, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> root beer, ha, ha, you know, and the silence was deafening. Everyone was looking over their glasses with some explanation coming, and it was as if my dad's reputation was hanging in the balance until finally the tension was broken I guess we put a little too much root in the pop, yeah, is what he said. And everyone laughed, except us kids, of course, because our anticipation of a house full of pop that would run freely was a house full of pop running freely throughout the house, but not the way we wanted. We failed to see the humor or the science to understand it, that for one reason or other, the brew had begun to ferment. And the innocuously friendly root beer had created its own pop culture, so to speak. It had gained a life of its own. It had been transformed into a form of liquid energy. Incidentally, I seem to recall that the root beer cleanup operation turned into a bit of a giggle fest for my parents. I'll never quite understand that on one of those really happy days, but we'll talk about that another time. In any case, the bottom line was simply that the bottles could not contain the brew. And that is precisely what Jesus was referring to when he talked about wineskins, as we find recorded in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Luke, which we heard read just moments ago. But in this, one of the shortest parables in all the scripture, Jesus was offering much more than a science lesson. Because as most of you know, the parable that we read in these scriptures was Jesus' instrument of choice. The parable was a way by which he communicated truth to provide wisdom, to provide chokhmah, as the Hebrew people say, the skill from on high for managing the world in which we live. That's what chokhmah is. That's what wisdom is. And by way of reminder, the function of a parable is explained in the understanding of this word, which is really made up of two Greek words, para meaning alongside, and bole meaning to throw. The parable literally means to throw alongside of something or to compare something. One theologian elaborates, saying that a parable is a story designed to compare that which is patently obvious 
to that which may not be obvious at all. It's a special significance in Jesus' ministry because he used parables to illustrate the invisible things of the Spirit from the visible reality of the everyday life in which we live. Because the stories were so earthy and easy, the casual listeners would continue to listen. But because they were so full of deep spiritual significance, those who were prepared to think them through and follow them through derived untold spiritual blessing from the Master's teaching. In simplest terms, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So as we open up the parable of the wineskin, we need to first consider the earthly story. Luke chapter 5, 36, again, we read that Jesus told them this parable, no one pours new wine in an old wineskin. If he does, the new wine will burst those skins. The wine will run out and, and the wineskins will be ruined as well. But new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Now, it seems straightforward enough, but it may be helpful to consider the logic of this, to understand that when wine is new, it has only begun the fermentation process, and whereby the yeast increasingly converts the resident sugar in that wine into alcohol and creates the natural byproduct of carbon dioxide, the fizz that we all understand. In ancient Palestine, the most common container for fermenting wine was wine skins made up of tanned goat skins, you know, with little bits sticking out, like little legs and a little neck, you know. It's kind of a rude thing to do to a goat, but I mean, after all, that's what that was for. And once the wine had been poured in to the goat skin, the neck was tied up. And over time, the whole skin would start to bulge, almost to the place of bursting as the carbon dioxide increased and increased inside. We can visualize this from the imagery reflected in Job chapter 32, where we hear Elihu say, For I am full of words, and the spirit within me compels me. Inside I'm like bottled up wine, like new wineskin, ready to burst. Therefore, by the end of the fermentation process, the goat skin, the wine skin, was so hugely stretched, affected by the alcohol and the carbon dioxide inside, that it was stuck much more rigidly into a new, larger shape. Starts like this, and it stretches like a balloon. There was no elasticity left, though, in that wineskin. Even though the wineskin was still useful for containing the original, now aged wine, if you tried to use that wineskin a second time, the expanding gases the second time of the new wine would burst that older wine skin. So the new wine that Jesus was talking about implies a wine that was going through the fermentation process. New wine is going through the process. It was expanding, moving, changing. It was in so many ways very much alive. And he was sharing this parable in response to some questions that he was being asked by some of his critics. Questions like, so, Jesus, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? 
Give us some answers here. And then he answers that with this parable about the wine and the wineskin. With this simple everyday story, Jesus was teaching his critics a very essential truth regarding the kingdom of God, something which was really should have been already well understood from the scriptures that, that life in the kingdom is fervent. It's always changing, always growing, always transforming. Why, why do you and your disciples eat with tax collectors and sinners? He says, because we've got something new going on in this kingdom. One contemporary theologian explains God is always a God of newness. We need to hear that. God is always a God of newness. The Old Testament frequently speaks of new things. Well, let's go through some scriptures very quickly. We hear David of old celebrating. God put a new song in my mouth. Through the prophet Isaiah, God himself is declaring, watch, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Later on in Isaiah, Behold, I will do something new. I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Later on in Isaiah, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Through the prophet Ezekiel, the Lord elaborates, saying, I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. God is a God of newness. Even though he is the ancient of days and even though he is the father of lights with whom there is no variation, no shifting shadows, and even though Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's all true. Yet God is not static or stationary. In fact, one of the immutable, unchanging characteristics of God's character is that he is a creator, an initiator, a newness maker. That's, what, that's one of God's immutable characters. He's making things new. And the essential character of God is also evident in the person of Jesus, who referred to his own sacrifice, which we celebrate at the table today, the blood of a new covenant, and who initiated the gospel as a new and living way, and in whom any of us is a new creation with old things are passing away, all is becoming new. God is a God of newness who has not stopped making all things new, which the Apostle Peter explains when he reminds us that according to God's promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, and which we discover all over and over again to the very end of the scriptures when we hear that he who sits on the throne declares, Behold, I am making all things new. There can be no doubt that God, our Lord God, is a God of newness and that in so many ways God is the great change agent. Change is imminent in the kingdom of God and through the kingdom of God. And the new wine which Jesus is discussing in the parable is a reference to the vibrant, living, growing dynamic that unfolds wherever God is. So in this parable of the wineskin, Jesus teaches us that the new wine is about God. Because in this parable, the wine highlights the reality that God is in the business of making things new. And this is good news. 
is in this wonderful news. In fact, this is the message of the gospel which you and I celebrate every time we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, t'was blind, but now I see. That's because he's making me new, and you too. So, when we understand that, the question that is begging in our innermost is, how new am I? <laughs> it makes us pose the question, have you been made new? If not, I want to tell you, you can begin totally new life as you embrace the sobering truth that you need a new beginning in your life. That's what we celebrate when we come to the table. A, a, a poignant picture of the fact that because Jesus gave his life, he broke his, his body was broken. He gave permission for that to happen. His blood was shed for the redemption of sins, which means for the payment of our sins so that we could have a new beginning. That's what's being celebrated. And that's why when we come to the table, we always make it very clear that this is a table that is set for those who have chosen to accept this newness, this grace from the living Christ. And that's why we always ask you to be sure that that's happened in your life. And if that's something, friend, if you are here and that's never happened in your life, I say this day, he wants to make you brand new. From the newest that you can't even begin to imagine. It's a wonderful truth that God loves you and I so much that he would die for us. And today you can begin a whole new life if that happens to be your need, your truth. Just as so many around you have already come to terms with that. And how many of you and myself include, how many of us hearing this word remember what it's like when the gospel of Christ first came alive to us? When the truth of God's love and forgiveness first poured into our lives, like new wine. Do you remember? As that new wine fermented, expanded, seeped into every crevice, every aspect of your life. Do you remember that? Do you remember how the world seemed to change and grow as, as you came alive in Christ? How your desire was to live a godly, holy life and it, it expanded the parameters of your comfort zone? Remember how your heart for others grew larger and larger and your eyes and my eyes, they opened up wider to the wonders of God's grace and the unbelievable power that came by way of our Lord? how we gained an appetite for the truth of God's word and how we grew in wisdom and maturity as we took it in, how the wineskin in our lives stretched and stretched to take it in in all that it meant to be a new creation. Do you remember how that was? Well, I want to say, and I want to say to me as to all of us who are his followers, God's not finished with us yet. 
Our Lord has much more wine, always more new wine that he's always bringing to us and wanting to give to us something fresh, something new, something vibrant, something which will move us to increase in vision, something which will lead us to step up the rung of our commitment, something which will stimulate our, our passion for loving others, something which will increase the vision of what could happen in our lives and should happen in our lives, something which will make us dream possibilities and then say, why not? Our Lord always has more new wine for us, brothers, sisters, friends, always. But the question is, can our wineskins handle it? One contemporary theologian explains that the wine of the gospel is still new in our day. God is a God of newness. It is still the power of God, and it still bursts old wineskins because wineskins are not eternal. As time passes, they must be replaced. Not because the, the wine of the gospel changes, no, but because the gospel itself demands it and it produces change. And that's why new wine must be put in new wineskins, not once for all, but repeatedly, periodically. Jesus said no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and be wasted. And then the wine will run out and the wineskin will also be ruined. But new wine must be poured into new wineskins. In the parable of the wineskin, Jesus teaches us that wine is about God, about the newness, the change, the transformation that he perpetuates by way of the gospel. But the wineskin is about us, about our capacity to facilitate God's change, about our readiness to embrace all the newness he brings to us, our willingness to be stretched again, and pushed again, even bent all out of shape, again. <laughs> the wineskin is about you and I accommodating God's ongoing agenda of accomplishing newness in this world, of accomplishing transformation in this world through the church, through those who already know this transformation in their individual lives. Our Lord always, always has new wine for us. So can your wineskin handle it? If your Christian pilgrimage is characterized by stability and responsible rigor of, of working hard to establish a, a credible, reputable name in the marketplace, if your journey with Jesus is about raising a, a godly family, of being an integral contributor of time and talent and tithe to the work of the corporate body of Jesus Christ, if it's about investing deliberately and purposefully in your local community to be salt in life, it's just wonderful. That's more than wonderful. That's what God wants. And if that is your commitment and that's what's happening in your life, yet as you move from Sunday to Sunday in search of some spiritual stimulant, you are finding yourself feeling dry, empty, and longing for that first love dynamic with the Lord, 
then I want to say, the Lord has some new wine for you. And he may already be pouring it into your life. That may be where the discomfort is coming. But you may need a, a new wineskin where you spend extended time with him to understand what that change will have to entail, where it becomes the norm for you and the Lord to spend alone time for an hour a day, or a, a, a day, a week, a month, a, a week, a year, like we encourage pastors in this association. If you have for some time been captivated by a particular need, by a, an issue of justice locally or globally, like we were talking about moments ago, so that whenever you're praying or whenever you're hearing reports of what's going on in this world, that particular need, that particular issue keeps surfacing and kind of consuming you. That's great. That's the living God stimulating. And yet you look for immediate and even long-term opportunity to do something about it. You see yourself constrained by the demands of the day-to-day -day and, and you feel too small to make a difference then know that the Lord is already pouring that new wine into your life, but you may need a new wineskin to accommodate what the Lord is already stirring within you. And I don't know what that would mean, but maybe it means that you shorten your career for, by 10 years so as to devote 10 extra uninterrupted years with, with single moms or seniors or children or refugees or in politics or however the Lord is moving you. Perhaps you need to reduce the cost of living that you have by 20% so that you have more discretionary time and resources to, to, to go and work somewhere in the third world every year or, or to have resources to impact a justice issue or, or to take your family on an extended ministry time away to some place that you've been planning and praying and thinking and grieving about. And it might be far away, like, like where we were, but it might be to the inner city of this city. It might be across the street. I don't know. If you've discovered that the Lord is offering you new wine as a gift or a passion which you want to pursue, but which simply doesn't fit your lifestyle or the plan of your life as you have envisioned to this point, then you, you may need a new wineskin of expectation of what your life could still be like. In fact, I would say make no assumptions about your life, about what, what may yet happen or not in and through your life, no matter how young or old you are, no matter how busy your life is or not. Make no assumptions about your lifestyle, whether as to where you should live, as to how you should use the resources at your disposal. Rather, discover the new wine which the Lord is surging through your life and then and choose a wineskin to accommodate that wine. As the Apostle Paul put it in his letter to the Christians of the early church, don't be conformed to the, the, this world, to the, to the wineskins that are kind of expected everywhere around us, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, of your wineskin, that you will prove that you can live out what is the will of God, 
that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The question which remains for all of us, can our wineskins handle the new wine that the Lord's pouring out into our lives? And what about the church overall? We're talking individually, but what about the church overall? Is the church accommodating the newness? the new wine which the Lord is pouring out into Canada? Or is the church in Canada, in, in Calgary, here at Thornhill, is it stretched as it's going to ever get? Relying on old wineskins, older ways of, of doing things? There's nothing bad with the older ways, but if there's something new coming, remember what, what the Scriptures, what Jesus is saying is that We've got to adjust for what he's pouring out into our lives. Are we able, are we willing to handle God's inevitable, miraculous transformation as the church in Alberta? Could it be that there's some new wine that God's flowing through the church in these days? Are we ready for it? Can we handle it? Do we want it? Because that new wine is just beginning to ferment. God is purposefully, deliberately moving us. But if, if we don't want the wineskin to change, if we don't choose a new wineskin, then the newness that the Lord is delivering could be spilled out and lost for the generation that's coming. Are you ready for the new wineskin for the church? You say, I wonder what that means. And I would say, I don't know. Exactly. It could mean different things in different parts of this province, of this country, all over the world. What if God's passion for unity in the church meant that we were to take on a new wineskin of partnering with several other churches like never before? What would that be like? Or what if God's passion for justice meant that we were to speak out on social issues? I mean, really speak it out, even controversially, even if the wineskin of the church loses its charitable status in this country. We go, oh, we can't do that. Why not? I mean, what would happen? Is God asking of us? What if God's passion for prayer transforms Sunday mornings and and, and congregational meetings and leadership meetings and youth events into a wineskin of perpetual worship and prayer 24-7 in this city. Are we prepared to choose to move with these kinds of new wineskins? Are we? I ask myself the same thing. One of the greatest theologians of the 20th century dreamed of a church which, with such a wineskin, writing from his Nazi prison cell, Dietrich Bonhoeffer declared, the church is the church only when it exists for others, as Jesus was called the man for others. The church, to make a start, it should give way to all the property that it has at its discretion to those in need. Ooh. <laughs> uh, the clergy must live solely on the offerings of the congregation and maybe engage in some secular work. Ooh, the church must share in the secular problems of ordinary life, not dominating, but helping and serving. It must help men and women of every calling what it means to live in Christ, to exist for others. Is the church with such a wineskin even possible? 
Well, to find a record of a church like that, we just have to look to the chronicles of the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. All those who had believed together and had all things in common began selling their property and possessions, you know this, <laughs> and sharing with them all as any might have need. Ooh, this is too different, right? Day to day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and God was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's, it's, it's not for the church to return to a former wineskin. Not, I'm not suggesting that that's the model. That's exactly what should happen. You go and sell everything you have and live in, a, in, in the backseat of your car. I don't think that's what God's expecting necessarily. This is not the point. It's not to follow the hopes and dreams of saints that have gone before us even. Those were great hopes and dreams and they lived them out. Rather, the church is to perpetually find new ways, new wineskins to accommodate the new wine, the new life that the Lord's pouring out among us. As the biblical scholar has put it, for a radical biblical gospel, we need a radical biblical church. For the ever new wine, we must continually have new wineskins. How do we figure that all out? We go to the Lord. How do we employ it? We wait upon his power. How do we know it's from him? The church is his bride. He loves us. He's making all things new. If wisdom is what we need, then wisdom is what we need to ask for. Like James says, Ask wisdom from God, and he'll give it to you liberally. He'll give you all that you want. Wisdom is the skill of, of managing what God's entrusted to us in this world. Such skill, such wisdom, such chokhmah means employing new wineskins for the new wine from our Lord. These are Jesus' words. These are his expectations. And really, employing new wineskins for the new wine from our Lord is simply about accommodating the power of God. Oh, Lord Jesus, may your power so flow in us and among us and through us. And would you stir us with a holy discomfort until we find the next step and the next step and the next step until we find that we are in step completely all the time with you. Lord, even as I say that, I'm not suggesting that somebody here is not in step. I'm only suggesting, Lord, that we keep in step or that we do pick up the step. We accommodate all that you have in the life that you've given to us, for the days and months, years that you still entrust to us, that, that you, by your Spirit, move us to the newness that's necessary for the new thing you are doing. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name and for your sake.